You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Privilege to open the word this morning. And if you are a note taking type, well, I've got a title for you this morning, and it's In the Olive Press. In the Olive Press. And that's because we're shifting really to have an Easter focus from this morning. Obviously, on Friday, as has already been mentioned, we will be celebrating Good Friday, remembering the cross. Next Sunday will be Easter Sunday. You know, our hope rests on these two mysteries the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is different because he died and because he rose again. I hope very much that you here this morning, you've personally encountered the death and something of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, changing you and impacting your life. Can you remember the first time that you realized that you knew that the cross was for you as an individual? That Jesus had gone to the cross for you. I was a little girl of just four years old when I first understood something of the cross. I was playing at home and I banged my head. And a sister, an older sister, fairly unsympathetic but very evangelistic, said to me, If you think that hurt, think how much it must have hurt Jesus when he died on the cross. It's not a line I'd recommend for winning your friends to Christ, uh, but somehow in my life, something began at that moment. Somehow in the simplicity of my understanding and the slight craziness of that moment, I asked Jesus to come into my life. Immediately, I left my life of crime. Four years old. I began eating my greens, all those things. No, not really. There wasn't a big transformation in behavior, but I've become more and more amazed at the grace of the Almighty God, who stooped down to listen to a little four-year-old who didn't understand very much, but who wanted Jesus in her life. And he came and he took me at my word and came into my life. He saw the little girl, he believed what she said, came into her life and never let go of her, even when she was hard-hearted even when she was proud, even when she was critical, even when she was stupid, even when she was rebellious, he never, ever let go of her. You know, I met Jesus at the cross 37 years ago, and he has never let go. I cannot get over the Easter message. I cannot get over the cross. I cannot get over the kindness of Almighty God. And I'm asking that Holy Spirit again this Easter would open our eyes, would open our hearts and our spirits, that we would see the wonder of it again, that we would enter in more deeply again to what Christ has done for us. And this morning, I want to take us to Gethsemane the garden on a hillside, across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, the olive grove, where Jesus and his disciples would often go, we're told. That's why Judas knew the place. You see, the disciples on that evening, they'd they'd shared the Last Supper, shared the Passover together. Pete read those verses from Luke 22 for us this morning. And then when they'd finished, they went out, we're told, to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Let's read the verses together. We're going to look in Mark chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, let's hook it out now. If you've got a device, let's turn to it. Mark chapter 14, 32 to 40. The verses will also come up on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 14 from verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. You know, there's many amazing moments in Scripture when we see something, we glimpse the deity of Jesus. We have it revealed to us, moments of power, healings, miracles, words of knowledge. He knows what people are thinking. Times when he gives incredible answers to questions that have been carefully posed to trick him. But here in these verses, we see something of the humanity of Jesus. To me, when I come to Gethsemane, I I consider it, It's a sacred place. As we see something of the vulnerability of Jesus in his humanity, as he's looking ahead towards the death that he'd come to die and the sacrifice that he'd come to make. And here, as we see in the verses we read today, we find Jesus overwhelmed with sorrow. This part of the passion of Jesus is referred to as the agony of the garden. There's some different words used across the Gospels, some here in Mark, some by the other writers. They convey many different things. Consternation, appalled reluctance, loathing aversion, mental pain and distress. Jesus was deeply distressed, horror struck, in acute emotional pain. He had terror at the future ordeal. But not so much because he faced a terrible death, although he did. You know, we could read accounts of martyrs down through the centuries who've been put to death for their faith in Christ. And we would read the accounts of those who went bravely, resolutely, some even joyfully, to their death. The disciples we know because we read of it, don't we, in Acts, they were beaten and flogged. And it says that they were joyful at being deemed worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. No, it wasn't the physical ordeal of what Jesus was walking into that filled him with sorrow. What caused him to be so overwhelmed was the cup that he was asking the Father to take away from him. The cup in Scripture often denotes the judgment of God. The cup denotes the judgment of God. We see it in the Old Testament in some of the prophecies And Jesus was about to have to drink a cup of God's judgment. 
the wrath of God, his righteous response to all the sin and all the rebellion of mankind. He knew that on the cross he was going there to carry our sin, to carry our rejection of God, our refusal to accept his role in our lives as our creator and rightful Lord. All our sin, all our pride, all our selfishness, all our shame, he was about to carry it. And he knew that as he did so, he would face God's judgment on that sin. He was going to face the wrath of God. He was going to be separated from Father, forsaken, cut off from God. He was about to experience hell. So that though we who are fully deserving, you and I, we wouldn't have to. This is what Jesus was facing in the garden that night. You, know, you may be here this morning and you've never heard any talk like this of Jesus before. Maybe you've never been told that Jesus went to a cross to carry your sin and your shame and your mess. Well, I want to tell you there's good news here today because this is the way to have a new life. This is a way to come back to God and to not be judged and to not live separate from him, but to have a fresh start by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And at the end this morning, there'll be a chance to respond if that's you here today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and begin a new life in him. But the message of Gethsemane is not just for those who haven't yet found that there's a savior. It's not just for those who haven't yet realized that Jesus came to take away their sin. You see, also in the garden, we find an example for us to follow. We're all followers of Jesus here this morning, are we not? Are there any followers of Jesus here this morning? There are. But who wants to follow him here? Who wants to follow him to Gethsemane? There's a little more reluctance in the room when we talk like that. Because the truth is, most of us, we want resurrection, but we don't want much fancy death. Most of us, we want to be exalted, but we're not in a hurry to humble ourselves. And many of us, we want the blessing of being in God's will, but we're reluctant to say, not my will. Am I alone here this morning? Or do I have a witness? This is what we find in ourselves, isn't it? You know, there are some places we want to follow Jesus more than others. I don't know if you've ever followed someone somewhere and then regretted it partway on the journey or realized that it was a really bad idea. I think I have done many times. As an 18-year-old, I lived in the south of France in Marseille for a year and I worked with a small church and a mission organization down there. And one day, there were three young men who went to a different church in Marseille who asked me if I'd like to join them cliff diving. Now, there's some wise people in the room and as soon as I've said that, the alarm bells are ringing in your head. But I was 18. I thought this was a great idea. I thought I could just follow them. They'd been before. They knew where to go. It would be good. It would be a great experience. So the day came. We went to the coast. We got out the car. We walked probably about a mile around the coast to go and find the place where you could dive in off the cliffs. It was all going to be great. We found the spot. We clambered down. In dived the boys. I watched them go in first. You see, I wasn't completely stupid. Make sure nobody was like getting a head injury or anything like that. And the water was deep enough. In they all went. And then I followed them in. Great. Brilliant. Loads of fun. And then someone tried to get out. 
And what we hadn't realized was actually the sea wasn't that calm that day and there was quite a lot of swell. And so as soon as we tried to get back onto the rocks, the swell would push you and force you against them. And we realized we were going to get badly hurt and might not make it out the water if we tried to get out up the rocks that we'd just got in through. I began to panic, as you do in those moments. The guys realized that the only way we were going to get out was if we were to swim back round the coast to try and find a bay, somewhere where it was shallower, somewhere where you didn't have to scramble on the rocks to get out of the water, which would have been okay, but we didn't know how far it was, and I wasn't a very good swimmer. Following had been a bad idea on this occasion. Now, thankfully, I just decided if I just took steady breaststroke and kept my head above water, it would all be good. And we made it there. I am here to tell the tale in case there was any mistake about that or any confusion. We made it. We made it back. It was all all right. It goes to show you sometimes you can do more than you ever think you can when you need to. But I learned that you have to choose carefully who you follow. I learned that those particular friends were not to be followed. But Jesus is different. Jesus calls us to follow him, and we can follow where he leads. Jesus is good, and Jesus is wise, and Jesus knows what is ahead for you, and we can follow where he leads. And we should follow where he leads. You know, we get a different perspective on this journey that Jesus makes and leads us into when we read Philippians 2, 8 and 9, coming up on the screen again. It says this, That Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Therefore, therefore, you see, Jesus does lead us to a place that may involve humbling and may involve obedience and may not be comfortable and it may be tough But he knows that when you come through those in obedience, there's a therefore. There's a therefore when God lifts us up, when God brings us into all that he has for us. It may not be an easy journey, but the destination is glorious, my friends. Therefore, God. You see, the key to Jesus' victory, the key to him being exalted was in his obedience in the darkest moment. The key to Jesus being exalted and his victory was his obedience in the darkest moment, in the toughest moment. And friends, I'm going to suggest that the same is true for us, that the key to your victory is your obedience in your darkest moment. You know, there were many moments in Jesus' earthly life when he chose to be obedient, daily, all kinds of decisions. But I don't think there's anywhere we get quite the same window as we do into Christ's obedience as we do here in the garden. Overwhelmed with sorrow, he's crying out to God, take this cup from me. Father, everything's possible for you. I know it. I've seen it. I was there when we made the sun and the sky together. I know you can do it, so take it from me. Deliver me from it. And yet, not what I will but what you will. I know you can do everything and I don't want to go there, but not what I want, what you want. In this darkest moment for Jesus, pressurized, pressurized like we haven't begun to know, overwhelmed, facing more than we could imagine, he chose obedience under pressure. Under the weight of all that rested on him, he chose the Father's will 
instead of his own. Surrender, submission, and therefore God. Therefore God unlocked destiny, unlocked his victory, unlocked his exalting. And if we will follow Jesus where he leads us and seek to respond in our toughest moments as he did in his, then our darkest moments also will be the key to victory in our lives. You see, we find Jesus today in this dark moment in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a Greek word that means olive press. That's what it means. It was there in an olive grove, but somewhere around this place was where the olives were pressed to make oil. If you live in a Mediterranean community, then olive oil is a precious commodity. And there's different stages to its making. You see, if you just pick an olive and bite into it, I've realized now I've probably just split the room. There's some of you thinking, yes, that would be nice. Some of you thinking, oh, that would be terrible. In fact, could I just have a show of hands? Uh, who are the olive lovers in the room? Yup, there's some passion there. And uh, just put your hands down. Who are the olive haters in the room? Oh, I think the olive haters get it here this morning. We're not going to make you eat them. It's okay. I understand that. Just divided the room. But if you were to pick an olive and bite into it, but I'm not going to make anyone do that, you wouldn't find oil immediately. You have to take the olive through some processes to get the oil. When you first break into it, you just get this kind of white sap and a bitter taste. But if you will go through the processes to get olive oil, you'll find something precious. It's a symbol of richness, health, and joy. It's got many different uses. I've been amazed this week finding out how many different uses olive oil has. I found out that olive oil is known for its anti-aging properties, that it increases the skin's elasticity. I think one or two people have just reached for their notebooks at this point. You weren't interested in what I had to say until now, but I've started talking anti-aging and you're with me. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-aging, all kinds of beauty treatments, hair, skin, nails. I'm told it contains three major antioxidants, very good for your health. In fact, olive oil is meant to be the healthiest fat on earth. It's worth getting your notepad out for, write that one down. But you don't just get it by breaking open the olive. There's a process. See, first the olives have to be cleaned so that the oil that is then brought out of them doesn't get contaminated. But then they have to be put in an olive press. I think we've got a photo coming up here of an olive press. This is what Gethsemane was, an olive press. There the olives were pressed. Pressed is really just a nice word for saying crushed. It kind of sounds quite civilized, doesn't it? Pressing. Crushing has a whole different idea to it, but this is essentially what has to happen to the olives. The fruit and the seed have to be crushed by great weight, like a vast millstone, as you see there. And then and only then is the precious oil released. Millstones like this were used to crush olives in olive groves, in olive presses like Gethsemane. So the oil would be released. And interestingly, when the oil is released, then also the bitterness is removed. We read in some sources that the olives can be pressed three times. The first, the first time they're pressed, the oil that's released gets used for lamps to make light. The, from the second time they're pressed, the oil released is used for medicine to bring healing. And the third time they're pressed, the oil released is used for soap, for cleansing, light, healing, cleansing, 
removing the bitterness? Do you begin to see the picture, my friends, of what is happening in Gethsemane, in the olive press, that we've got Christ there in the olive press, under pressure, under this weight, but choosing obedience, being crushed to release the oil of Holy Spirit, to bring us light, to bring us healing, to bring us cleansing, to remove the bitterness and the bitter taste of our lives, that it might be something fragrant that comes out of our lives, that we might be changed, that we might be healed, that we might see him. The key to his victory was in his surrender, his trust, his obedience in the darkest moment. It allowed the oil to be released. It allowed the oil to be released. You know, most of us, we want to share in Christ's victory. We want a share of the oil. We want to see him. We want to know his resurrection power. We want to be cleansed and we want to be saved. We want to be healed. We want the oil, but we don't much want the olive press. In fact, we really want to avoid the olive press. In our lives, the olive press may not look like a large millstone. In our lives, there's lots of different situations that bring pressure. A work situation with a difficult boss, a confrontational family member, the circumstance where you've been misunderstood and misrepresented maybe, challenges to health, a devastating diagnosis, a a loss, the project at work that you oversee that isn't delivering, the business that's struggling, the relationship that's challenging. You know, the olive press tends to have at least one of these and often a combination. And when we face these kinds of situations and seasons that take us into these in our lives, we find ourselves thinking we must get rid of them as soon as we can. We must get the weight of this pressure off our lives. But sometimes the Lord is allowing pressure. Sometimes he's allowing us to go through the olive press to release his oil into our lives. He allows the pressure sometimes to release the oil of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's provision in our lives, Holy Spirit's grace to be sufficient for us, Holy Spirit working to transform us and change us to be like Jesus, to be like him in character. Sometimes he allows us to go in the olive press because he wants the oil to be released in our lives. We rush so often to preserve the olive, but if we do that, we'll never have the oil. We can choose to preserve the olive, but if we do that, we'll never have the oil. And we can find ourselves in situations where we're pressurized, we're squashed, we're limited, we're hurt. There's confusion, it's not what we wanted. You know, when we find ourselves in those situations, most of us find ourselves quite quickly saying, why, why is this happening? God, why haven't you answered me? Why haven't you taken this away? We begin praying, Lord, take it away. Remove this off my life. We get other people around us to pray for me, pray that this will be taken away. And we should do. You know, if you're facing difficult situations, if you're limited, if you're hemmed in, you should get people to pray for you. We should ask the Lord to take it away. We don't celebrate being in limitation. However, sometimes, sometimes God is about a deeper work. 
Sometimes he's about a deeper work of the Holy Spirit working in us, making us like Jesus. Allowing us to learn obedience in a difficult place. You know, Father God is more interested in producing character than providing comfort. That's maybe not what you came to church this morning to hear, but Father is more interested in producing character than providing comfort because they have very different outcomes for eternity. You know, when we hit tough seasons, some of us, we do everything we can to get out of them. Some of us, we even stop coming to church. We get cross with God. We tell him it's not what we signed up for. We have some sort of spiritual strop. When all he was looking for was for us to trust him under pressure, to choose to be obedient, to follow Jesus in those moments, to wait for him, to trust him. Corrie ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian who helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust in World War II, she said this, when a train enters a tunnel, it's not the time to disembark. It's time to sit back and trust the driver. He will bring you through to the light. He will bring you through to the light. What we see in Jesus in the olive press is he was choosing to trust. He was putting his hands in the hands of the Father So I'm not going to try and get out. I'll trust that you will bring me through this so I can say, yet not what I will, but what you will. Come with me for a few moments into Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews gives us another perspective on these moments of Jesus' earthly life in the garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 5, 7 to 9, it says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. There's a lot packed into those two verses. And I want us just to unpack these a little bit because I think there's some, some helpful things we can learn from what was going on with Jesus in Gethsemane that will help us to go through the olive press and to trust the Father as we do so. So three simple things. Number one, Jesus was heard. Jesus was heard. It says Jesus offered up prayers and petitions. Jesus prayed. Now I'm thinking that Jesus is the best prayer to ever have walked the earth. Do we think that's a fair assumption? I'm thinking Jesus knew how to pray and none of us are going to match him in being such a good prayer. And he was heard. We would expect him to be heard, wouldn't he? He was the son of the father. It says the father God heard him because of his reverent submission. The father was listening. He heard him. He was with him. And yet, Jesus, the best prayer to ever pray, was not given exactly what he asked for. He didn't receive exactly what he asked for. He was heard and God was with him, but he didn't take the cup from him. He didn't take this death away from him. You see, although everything is possible for God, you might be shocked to hear that not everything was possible for God because it wasn't possible for God to save his son and save mankind. 
He couldn't take the cup away from Jesus and save mankind. There was only one way for sin to be dealt with. Only one good enough to go in man's place. God was working to a different plan, a different purpose. So although Jesus was the best prayer ever to walk, although he asked for the cup to be taken, the Father did not grant him his request. But he was with him, and he was faithful, and he did deliver him through death but he didn't deliver him from death. He was working to a bigger plan. And friends, you may be in something right now and it may be very tough. It may not make sense. You may have asked God to remove it and he hasn't done. And maybe you've begun to wonder if you've done something wrong or if God isn't listening to you. But friends, he is listening. He has heard you. He is attentive and he has not stopped loving you. He has not stopped loving you. Do you know how much the Father loved Jesus? Totally. Totally. And yet, he didn't grant him exactly what he asked. See, being loved and being heard doesn't always mean getting the answer that you want. Every good parent in the room knows that. So friends this morning, know that you are loved, that he has heard and that he will deliver you through. He may deliver you from, but he will deliver you through. He will bring you through. He will be faithful. He may not remove it from you, but he will bring you through. Don't walk out on him. Don't give up. Don't think he doesn't love you. Don't think he hasn't heard you. He has heard you. He loves you. He's with you. He will deliver you through. Keep walking with him. Don't try to get off the train. Don't try to escape the olive press. Trust him. Lean on him. Submit to him. Ask Holy Spirit to meet you in this challenge that you face. Ask him to release the oil. Say in that place, Lord, I want to stand here, but I need your oil. I need the oil to be released if I'm going to do this. Stop fighting him. Yes, pray your prayers, but trust him to bring you through in the way that he thinks best. Allow the press to do its work and release the oil. Rely on Holy Spirit. He'll give you grace. He'll give you strength. He'll give you provision and open situations up that look impossible. Jesus was heard and God delivered him through death not from death. Secondly, from these verses in Hebrews, it says that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus, we're told, learned obedience from what he suffered. This is Jesus, son of God, God made flesh. He, it tells us, Fully God, fully man, had to learn obedience. Do we think that maybe if the Son of God had to learn obedience, that maybe you and I also may need to learn obedience? I think probably we do. That if Jesus needed to learn obedience, how much more do I need to learn to obey Father as I walk through my life? And we're told that he learned it from what he suffered. 
He's there in the garden of Gethsemane saying, take this cup, not what I will, but what you will. This is obedience. This is learning obedience under pressure. He had to learn it in the olive press, in Gethsemane. How much more do we need to learn obedience in the olive press of life? But Jesus' obedience in the darkest moments led to the therefore of Philippians 2. Therefore, God exalted him. You see, the key to Jesus' victory was in his obedience in the darkest moments, the toughest seasons, the most pressurized points. And it's the same for you and me, that if we'll choose to be obedient there, the key to our victory will be in our obedience in the tough moments. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and for you and I if we'll follow him where he leads us if we'll choose obedience we have the same promise that when we humble ourselves that he will also exalt us in due course thirdly from these verses in Hebrews it says that Jesus once made perfect and by that if you read the full contents of the chapter it's once he made a perfect sacrifice he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him jesus became the source of eternal salvation this was what was happening when he drank the cup the father gave him he went through gethsemane through the trial through the cross he became the perfect sacrifice by coming through the olive press and then then what happened? Listen to these words. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. This is a big outcome, friends. Whatever you're going through, whatever you might achieve in your life, this here is a big outcome. The source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. You see, God was working to an eternal purpose. It was not all about the garden. It was not all about Israel. It was not all about what was in front of them there. He was working to eternal purpose that was wonderful and glorious and would save many, many millions and billions of people for eternity. It's impacted you. It's impacted me. It impacts all mankind. And the eternal purpose of the Father was also that Jesus would be exalted to the highest place whilst saving all mankind for all eternity. Wow. You know, often we don't understand and we can't explain what is going on in our lives and around our lives. It doesn't make sense because we see the here and the now. We see with a limited perspective of what is going on in our lives, in the world, in the lives around us. But friends, God is working to eternal purpose. God is always working to eternal purpose. Always. He is always working to eternal purpose. Your life has not somehow snuck outside the boundaries of God's eternal purpose. It's still in there. He's working to eternal purpose in you, through you. And the glory of his eternal purpose far outweighs anything he might ask for us to walk in or endure today. 2 Corinthians 4:17 If you're in a tough season write it down look it up later it will encourage you. You know the worst that the enemy can do to you is deliver you into the purposes of God. If when the pressure comes you choose obedience. 
That's the worst he can do to you, is deliver you into becoming more like Christ. To accelerating the purposes of God in you and through you. Because you see, in everything, Christ can be formed in you. God can bring good out of evil anywhere, anytime. It's what he does. He's been doing it since creation. We read of it right back at the start in Genesis 50. We read it in Joseph's life, don't we? He says to his brothers, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is how God works. He takes what is evil, he uses it for good, and he saves many lives, the eternal purposes of God. We read it also, Romans 8, 28. Many of us, we know it well, for we know that in all things, let me hear you say all things. Let me hear you say all things. All things, it doesn't mean good things. It doesn't mean great things. It doesn't mean things I planned and it doesn't mean things I wanted. It means all things. The things I didn't want. The things I don't like. The things that look like an olive press. The all things. In all things God works for good. For those who love him. And it goes on to say, because we're predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Like we're called to be made like him. And when the rubbish stuff happens, it can be a shortcut to Christ being formed in us. If we obey, if we come and we lean on Holy Spirit and we let him work in us, change us in those moments. Today's dark moment can be the key to victory in our lives as we trust God, as we submit to his ways, as we choose obedience, as we yield in the olive press, because then, then, friends, the oil can be released. The oil of Holy Spirit gets given room to work, is released in our lives, giving grace, bringing divine provision, changing us, forming Christ in us, making us more than we could ever have dreamed we could be. Tamsin, would you come? And help me. You know, we can seek to become like Jesus. We should do. We must do. We're called to become like Jesus. But there is one way in which we can never become like Jesus, which we see in Gethsemane. You see, in Jesus' earthly life, he learned to walk in obedience to his Father. And up until the point of Gethsemane, every time that Jesus had chosen to obey, it had preserved his unity, his closeness, his communion with the Father. Jesus had always enjoyed unbroken communion with the Father. In our lives, every obedience that is asked of us will bring us greater intimacy with the Father. It will bring us closer to him. But here in Gethsemane, here in the olive press, here in the garden, Jesus faced an obedience which would see him separated, which would see him forsaken, which would see him cut off, temporarily divided from the Father with whom he'd functioned in perfect unity along with Holy Spirit for all of eternity past. Jesus asked us to follow him into the olive press. He went first so that we could follow only he went there alone. He went there alone. His friends couldn't stay awake 
and they didn't dare to stand with him in his trial. For the cup of God's judgment to be poured out, the father couldn't go there with him. He had to turn his face away. He had to forsake him. Jesus had to go there alone. But he went there alone so that we would never have to. Yes, we can follow Jesus into the olive press, but we cannot go there alone. We are only ever asked to go there with Holy Spirit. With the oil that's been provided, poured out by all mankind. You see, the oil has been released so that we can forever know the presence, the closeness, the provision of Father God by the power of Holy Spirit. Jesus went alone, but whatever you might be facing, however tough, you are not alone. You are not alone. I know there's numbers of people who will be here today and you feel right now in your life like you're in an olive press. And yes, there's pressure and there's limitation. There may be pain and it, it's made you have questions. But he has heard you. He has heard you and he does love you. He is going to deliver you through. And if you will respond to him in the olive press, if you'll respond, then his oil will be released in your life again. And that's the point. There's a point in the pain, there's a point in the pressure is that more oil would be released in your life. It's not just something to grit your teeth and get through, but there's something rich and precious to be found in this place if you'll respond and if you'll yield and if you'll choose obedience in this season. More oil, more of his presence more of Holy Spirit, more of His anointing, your character becoming more like Jesus. You'll be enabled to carry more of Him, more of His power, more of His authority. You'll be enabled more to partner with Him in His eternal purpose and in the impacting of the eternity of others. And as you humble yourself, you receive the promise that in due course he will lift you up. You know when he lifts you up, it's better than anything you could work for yourself. He's working to eternal purpose in you. Will you trust him? Will you choose to obey him? Will you say to him this morning, not what I will, but what you will? Will you come and in the midst of the oil press say, Lord, release the oil in me. I want more of the oil of your spirit in me. I will, I will stand here and I will yield, but I need more of you. I need your oil. I can't do it on my own. I'm not going to do it on my own. Meet me here. In a moment, we're going to sing, but I know there's numbers of people here this morning. And you need to respond to him. Simply to yield again, to come again, to cry out, Lord, yes, I want the oil to be released. I want more of your spirit in my life and I want to obey you here, but I need you to help me. 
Give me Holy Spirit to help me. Release the oil in my life. Help me to walk here. I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet. I think there's some people you may well want to come to the front and bow down and respond to the Lord here. If that's you, just, just push your way gently past the person next to you. They'll know what you're doing. Just begin to come now. Begin to respond to the Lord. Begin to bring him your heart. Some of us, we need to bow down. We just need to say, I'm going to stop fighting you, God. I'm going to yield to you. Some of us, we literally just need to say to him, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. Some of us, we just need to come and say, Lord, release your oil. Release your oil. I'm going to pray for all those who come down the front and say, Lord, release your oil, a new measure of your oil. For all of us that stand, let's pray and respond and bring our hearts to the Lord. Lord, thank you. Jesus, we thank you for where you walked for us, for what you endured, for what you took, for where you went alone. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that because of where you walk, the oil of Holy Spirit has been poured out on all mankind and is available to us this morning. And we thank you that you're at work also in our hearts and in our lives. You're working to eternal purpose in us and through us. Releasing oil in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. You call us to follow you, but not alone. Help us to yield to you, Lord. Help us to obey you. Let there be a cry in our hearts that says, not what I will, but what you will. And Lord, we ask that as we do that and as we bow down, we say, release your oil, Lord. Release the oil of Holy Spirit. Release Holy Spirit in our lives to work, to act, to minister, to provide, to enable and empower. Release the oil, we pray, Lord. To your honor, to your glory. For your eternal purposes, Lord, and for the saving of many lives, we pray in Jesus' name.